Thank you, gentlemen. So we're sharing this morning from the book of Hosea, one of the minor prophets. He was a contemporary of Isaiah. And um, he lived in the northern kingdom of Israel. Now the northern kingdom of Israel, they had started out as people of God. But after the death of Solomon, actually before his death, um, those people began to turn their back upon the God who had revealed himself and provided for them and created them as a people and as a nation and given them peace. And as they turned their back on God, things began to get very difficult for them. And so God kept sending people like Elijah, Elisha. He sent people like Hosea, Amos, Jonah. He sent these prophets repeatedly over long periods of time. He kept reaching out to these people and calling them back to accountability, responsibility, calling them back to relationship with him. But they had become so enamored by the culture around them so uh, caught up in the sins of the flesh that were around them and they had baptized those sins and gave a a religious uh, connotation you know so we know that we're in big trouble when we begin to worship our sins which is what they did Uh, it makes us stop and think what we're doing in our country today isn't it worshiping our sins So God brought judgment upon the people of of Israel, his people, God's people, God's people in rebellion under God's judgment. And so he tells them in chapter 5, I'm like a moth to Ephraim, like rot to the people of Judah. So before they had been God's chosen people, they had been his witnesses, and he had strengthened them and used them, and they were a light that was shining in the darkness. But now, the darkness had grown very, very dim. Almost non-existent. And the darkness threatened to overcome it. And so God began to to deal with these people. So God says, the judgment is, I'm like a moth or like rot. And when it says, when Ephraim saw his sickness and Judah his sores, then Ephraim turned to Assyria and sent to the great king for help. But he is not able to cure you, not able to heal your sores. So they began to look to their materialism, to their power, uh, to their wealth, to to the violence that they had as a society. And instead, they found out that there was no cure there, no healing there, no life there. God goes on and he says in verse 14, I will be like a lion to Ephraim, like a great lion to Judah. I will tear them to pieces and go away. I will carry them off with no one to rescue them. God says, Then I will go back to my place until they admit their guilt. And they will seek my face. In their misery, they will earnestly seek me. So in modern day terms, this would be called uh, tough love, I guess. God bringing judgment upon his own people. Correction. Um... And the purpose of that is to show them their lack and their emptiness. And it's a call, it's an invitation, it's a a way of God calling his people back to him. Um, You remember when, before Paul became Paul, his name was Saul and he was persecuting the church. And he was doing it in the name of the Lord. 
And Jesus appeared to him and he said, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's hard for you to kick against the goads. It'd be like somebody going out in the field and they're trying to, to clear their field. So they go up and start kicking all the cactus. You know? Well, that's a painful experience. Uh, but that's what they were doing. And so it was God's way of telling them, don't do that. That's not a productive thing. That's a harmful thing. And you're, you're missing the blessings and you're having a lot of pain. So this is where we come to chapter 6. And so it's in that context that you have this very powerful call to repentance and to return. So he says, come, let us return to the Lord. And now the returning is not a once-off thing. Uh, it's the word that we normally translate as repentance. And repentance is not a once-off thing, is it? It begins, there's a, a, a point where it does begin. And so there is a one, uh, an, an initial experience of repentance which involves godly sorrow. A godly sorrow means that it's one, it's a sorrow that is productive and not destructive. And a godly sorrow means that I'm kicking this cactus and it hurts, so I'm going to stop. That's what repentance means. I'm stopped doing the things that are causing pain and destruction, that are causing corruption and decay. And it means that I've been going in the wrong direction, and it doesn't matter how fast or how long I travel in this direction, if I'm going in the wrong direction, I'm not going to get where I want to go. So you have to stop and turn around and go the other way. Go the right direction. And that's what this invitation is. Come, let's return to the Lord. He has torn us to pieces. But He will heal us. He has injured us. But He will bind up our wounds. After two days, He will revive us. On the third day, He will restore us that we may live in His presence. And so you have a, a progression here. And so the invitation is... Return to God. And when we return to Him, we discover these blessings, these benefits of being in the presence of the Lord once again. He will heal us. He will bind up our wounds. He will revive us, restore us, pick us up. He will restore us that we might live in His presence. Now the key to that is we're returning to the Lord and the life that He gives us is in His presence. So the goal, the purpose, it's not the healing, although that's a benefit. It's not the binding up of our wounds, although that is a benefit. It's not the revival, that's a benefit. It's not even the restoration. The key, the goal, is that we might live in His presence, knowing Him, Him dwelling within us. And there's communion and fellowship. And when you're in the presence of the Lord, there is life. There is life. And apart from his presence, there's nothing but death and emptiness. And so the invitation has come. Um, we've strayed a long ways. As a people, we've strayed a long ways. Let's return. Let's go back to the place where we know who God is. And he can speak to us and we can speak to him. So the invitation continues. It says, let us know the Lord. Let us press on to know the Lord. As surely as the sun rises, he will appear. He will come to us like the winter rains, like the spring rains that water the earth. And so this is what it means to come back to the Lord. 
let us know the Lord. Now, NIV has acknowledge because they, they think, well, these are the people of God. They know all about God. They know the Old Testament. They know the, the prophetic word. They have the law given, and, and it's part of their history, part of their um, culture as the people of God, as Hebrew people. But what the prophet Hosea is saying is that the people of God don't know God. That's the message of the prophet Hosea. God's people don't know him, really know him, the way they're supposed to. We can see it in our lives. And so it's an invitation, it's a challenge. Let us know the Lord. Let's press on to know him. Let's eagerly look for, chase after, literally is what it says, until we find him. Let's know the Lord. Now this is a very powerful word about knowledge of God. Earlier in Genesis, you had the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And in Genesis chapter 3, you had Adam and Eve in the garden, and the tree was good for food, pleasing to the eyes, and it was desirable because it gained wisdom and knowledge. And so they pressed on, turned their back on God, and pressed on to a knowledge that gives death. Now God is challenging the people. Hosea is inviting these people. Let's know the Lord. Let's not seek after the sin that destroys us, that kind of knowledge. There is a knowledge that's there, isn't there? It's a knowledge. It, it, it was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and God had not lied. It brought knowledge and awareness. And what happened then is people began to worship that kind of knowledge and wisdom, and they became what we call worldly wise, wise in the things of the earth. And even in the New Testament, Paul talks about the people are wise in knowing how to do evil, but they're ignorant, they're infants in knowing what pleases God. Paul writing to the church, same context that Hosea has here, God's word to his people. So the challenge is, as we have sought, longed for, yearned for, chased after the things that gives a knowledge that destroys us and defiles us and corrupts us, we need to have that same intensity, that same longing in our zeal to know the Lord. And that's what he's calling us. In Hosea chapter 4, he even told them, he said, my people are destroyed from lack of knowledge. It's not information that he's talking about here. It's not information. We've got lots of information, don't we? We're in information overload. There's so much information out there that one person can never possibly conceive of of containing it all. Think about all the different fields and the different um, areas of, of learning and education and challenge and, and inventions and all these other kind of stuff. Just an insurmountable amount of knowledge out there information-wise. But information is not wisdom. Sometimes our knowledge of things far outseeds the wisdom and maturity to know how to use them properly. So we come up with these great inventions and we use them in ways that destroy the earth or destroys people. Um, you know, and, and it's just an amazing thing. In um, way back in the early, early days, the Chinese uh, who discovered what gunpowder was all about, they used it to make fireworks, to have fun. 
you know, beautiful things, loud pops, everybody enjoyed it. Had a great thing. Europeans came, they got the, the secret of making uh, gunpowder, and they used it to kill everybody. Make guns and cannons and bombs. You see, it's a different way of looking. We've got these things, and look at, look at how we're using them. And so sometimes, even in the areas of genetics and biology, our information far exceeds the maturity to know how to use them in creative, responsible ways. And so we end up taking the knowledge, which is a gift from God, and corrupting it and perverting it. Now that's what had happened in Hosea's day. That's what's happening in our day as well. So we make a God out of science. And we forget what it means. Uh, science, the search for knowledge. Uh, but knowledge in and of itself is deceptive. And it's a hard taskmaster. Because at the end of the day, what you end up destroying is yourself. <clears throat> so we have social revolution. <clears throat> so in France in the 1790s, uh, during this, the French Revolution, they were going to have a, there was a backlash against the restrictive things and the corruption in the church. And it's important to remember that. It was not only a political thing, it was the corruption and the perversion that took place in the church that they were rebelling against. So they threw away all the restrictions. They threw away all the, the guidelines. They threw away everything that had to do with God and it was now um, the glorification of humanity, humanism. Man is the center of everything, which is the very basis of sin, isn't it? Making man into God. It didn't work. Uh, people got sick. Um, they finally came up, we're going to have to get rid of everybody who opposes us, which is what these groups always do. So they started the, uh, the French Revolution and the guillotines were very active and they were killing um, people right and left. And the interesting thing is Robespierre and some of these other guys, the ones who orchestrated all of this, who got it organized and the philosophy behind it and put it into practice and came up with the inventions, they were killed by what they had started. They became victims of their own progress. And they ended up being guillotined themselves. That's a commentary on modern man. And that's where we are in our present society. And so the, the invitation is, let us know the Lord. Know Him in the sense of, uh, this word means uh, a commitment, a covenant relationship with God is what it's talking about. Knowing Him, uh, in relationship with Him, knowing who He is, and in knowing who He is, we begin to discover who we really are. And apart from knowing Him for who He is, we never know who we are. And so we have people uh, who've, been, who've lived their entire life, and they're coming toward the end of their life, and they still don't know who they are. It's a sad thing, isn't it? And so you look back on your life and you think, well, what was that all about? So the Lord, he's saying, come, learn. Uh, as surely as the sun rises, if we press on to know him, if we seek for him, as surely as the sun rises, he will appear. He will come to us like the winter rains, like the spring rains that water the earth. 
And this is a common theme throughout Scripture. Hosea talks about it. Joel talks about it. Zechariah talks about it. Isaiah talks about it. Moses had talked about it. James talks about it in the New Testament. Um, this autumn and spring rains, because where they lived, their crops were dependent upon two rainfalls. They're a semi-desert area. <clears throat> they have to have the spring rain because that's when you plant. And if the ground is not prepared, moistened, to receive the seed, you're not going to have a, a crop and people are going to be, go hungry. Then the things grow. And then in the autumn, you, you're dependent upon a second rainfall. The second rainfall takes these growing crops and it brings the fruit it, uh, it helps all the strength and all the nutrition that's there. It gives it the final uh, strength and nourishment that it needs to produce the crop. And if that rain fails, you don't eat either. And so this is one of the promises that God gave these people. He said, this is a land flowing with milk and honey. And if you walk with me and obey my commandments, the spring rains and the autumn rains, they will be there in season, timely. And the land will be very productive. When the people did not do that, when they rebelled against God, God withheld the rain, and it says that the land itself vomited out the people, refused to produce anymore, which was always a consequence of sin, wasn't it? For Adam, it was a consequence. For Cain, it was a consequence. For us, it's a consequence. And so he offers to send us these times of refreshing from God. So, as surely as the sun rises, he will appear. He will come to us like the winter rains, like the spring rains that water the earth. In Deuteronomy 32, this was the promise of God. And Deuteronomy 32 is the song of Moses. It's kind of a summary, a prophetic uh, word for, that Moses gave right at the end of his life, just as they were about to go into the promised land. And so he's telling them, he's warning them, he's predicting and prophesying what the future will be. And he gives them a choice between blessings and cursing. And he makes it very, very plain. Almost all the prophets come back to Deuteronomy with this focus on blessing or cursing. Depends on your relationship with God. Depends as people of God if you're walking with him or if you're not. And so Moses begins this song inspired by the Holy Spirit, and he says this, Let my teaching fall like rain, and my words descend like dew, like showers on new grass, like abundant rain on tender plants. I will proclaim the name of the Lord. This is the rain that's falling, the dew that's coming. I will proclaim the name of the Lord. Oh, praise the greatness of our God. He is the rock, His works are perfect, and all of His ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just as he. So the thing that makes us fruitful and productive is dwelling in the shadow of the Almighty. Dwelling in his presence. And the rains come, the rain of his presence, his word, speaking to us, revealing who he is. Deuteronomy 11, verse 14 He had said this is what's going to happen. And starting with verse 13, if you faithfully obey the commands I'm giving you today to love the Lord your God, 
and serve him with all your heart, with all your soul. Then I will send rain on your land in its season, both autumn and spring rain, so that you may gather in your grain, new wine, and oil. So he says, I will give you the rain because that produces the fruit. That produces the crop. And it's the rain of the Holy Spirit that the prophets are talking about that produces the fruit of the Spirit in our hearts and in our lives as we come before Him. Isaiah, in chapter 55, puts it this way. 55 verses 10 and 11. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. And so God is saying, look around. Uh, as the rain comes down, as it waters the earth, as it causes the earth to produce the fruit. We have object lessons around us every single day if we have eyes to see and ears to hear. He says, my word is like that rain that comes. It causes the heart, the soul of man to produce the fruit of his spirit because the word of God is dwelling in us richly. And what is his purpose for which he sent it? You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and hills will burst into song before you and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush will grow the pine tree. Instead of briars and myrtle, the myrtle will grow. This will be for the Lord's renown, for an everlasting sign which will not be destroyed. And so God's plan and purpose for us is joy and peace. These are not ends in themselves. It's a byproduct of the relationship of knowing who he is. When Christ is in our heart, our life is filled with peace. If Christ is in our heart, there is a joy that's within us that the world cannot give and it cannot take away. And all of the, all of the things that the world offers is just an attempt to fill that in and they all fail. Because God's the only one who can give that. So he's asking us to come on, to press on, to know the Lord. And the problem was that their sin kept them from receiving and entering into that blessing because of relationship. Because as David was sharing with the children this morning, God says, I desire mercy. It's a particular word, um, hesed. It's a, uh, there's other words for love in the Old Testament. One is about the, the family, Ahav, where you have a father and a children. Uh, there's other for friendship and other things. But this one, this I desire mercy and not sacrifice. It's not so much the things that we offer. It's the relationship that we have in him. And hesed is a relationship of trust and covenant faithfulness. It's often translated loving kindness. It's a kindness that God shows, but that kindness is based on the relationship that you have with him. If you love someone, 
it's easy to give them something, isn't it? You want to. You want to give them. Um, they don't even, it doesn't even have to be a birthday or anything. You just do it because it's an expression of your love for that person. And God is saying that's the kind of relationship that he wants with us. So that tithes and offerings, these sacrifices, they're not given out of obligation. They're not given because we're asked to do so or commanded to do so. They're given because it's a free gift offered freely as an expression of love to him. Because we know him. Because he knows us. We speak to him and he speaks to us. And he is with us as we go through whatever life throws at us. Doesn't mean we're not going to have difficulties. Doesn't mean there's not going to be pain or sorrow or grief or suffering. Doesn't mean any of those things. What it means is that there's a strength of love that carries you through. And that strength of love is a person. It's God himself in the person of his son. And so he says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, knowledge of God, this close, intimate relationship with him. That's what he's looking for. That's better than any sacrifice, better than any offering. The burnt offerings were an expression of a covenant relationship. That's what that was. You, you offer a burnt offering to God, and it, what that means is you burn up the whole sacrifice. You burn everything up. And it's made by people who are in a covenant relationship with God. So what they were doing, the, the Israelites, they were wanting to offer the outward sacrifices without the relationship. God said it means nothing. It means nothing. Paul put it this way, even if I give my body to be burned, now that's a pretty good sacrifice, isn't it? It counts for nothing if I don't have love. It means nothing. So he is, is inviting us to come. Come, let us return to the Lord. He will heal us, bind up our wounds, revive us, restore us. But most of all, he wants us to come that we might live in his presence and know what life is all about knowing who he is, knowing who we are. Let's pray. So Lord, we come before you, having received your loving kindness within our hearts and within our lives, having received from you the blessings, unlooked for, unearned, undeserved, and yet you pour them out freely upon us each and every day. So Lord, we pray that as we receive these gifts from your hand, that our hearts will respond to the love and the blessing that you've given to us. As John writes to the church, what kind of love has God lavished upon us that we might be called his children? And yet that's what we are. That's what we are by your grace through Jesus our Lord. Amen. So as most of you know, we have communion every Sunday in our church, and it's, we have open communion, which means that um, in the upper room, when Jesus first initiated the, um, the Last Supper, it was filled with sinful men. 
men that were that night before the sun rose the next day all going to run away and deny him um, out of fear, out of doubt and confusion. Um, and these are the ones that Jesus invited to come. So the Lord's Supper is not for perfect people. Uh, it's for those who are desiring the mercy and grace of God. So we come to him with our imperfections, but we come with, as Hosea says, we come to know the Lord, to press on to know him. We come with repentance, with asking him to give us the strength to redirect our lives into the way that, that brings life and not death, to brings healing instead of pain and suffering and sorrow. And so he, he gives that invitation to all people. And so uh, our church, we understand that we're all sinners saved by grace. And so uh, as a celebration of that grace, we come before the Lord confessing our sins, repenting, seeking new life, um, seeking new courage and strength to live and make the decisions that we need to make on a daily basis. And the promise is that as we feed on him in our hearts by faith, then that fruit of God's spirit becomes evident in our life because of his presence, his presence in us. Uh, then the light of the world is Christ in you. We are the candle holders. He is the light. And so we come to him to receive that from him anew and fresh. So all are welcome here. So the invitation, mercy, not sacrifice, knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings, is because God is not looking for the sacrifice. He's looking for the relationship. That's possible because God himself made the sacrifice that for us. That's what Jesus was. He came to be the atoning sacrifice for our sin. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. It's either going to be yours or Christ. Jesus died to cleanse us from sin. And that's the power of the resurrection, isn't it? The good news, Jesus rose from the dead. What that means is, his blood is effective. Our sins have been forgiven. That's what it, that's all about. Forgiveness of sins. That's the good news that we have to proclaim as Christians. A chance to start over. A chance to be clean and whole. A chance to come before the Lord without the history. It's there, but it's been covered by the blood of Christ. And the pain and the sorrow, the grief and the shame been washed clean by his blood. So that's what we celebrate today. The gift of God, his son, his gift of love for us. And he's looking for a response from you and from me, just like he was with Hosea's day. He's looking for the response of his people. God has acted. God has spoken. We have heard. Now what are we going to do with what he has showed us? So will those who are serving communion please come forward?